Hello, welcome to Aero Bandwidth, your source for everything you need to know about the technologies, trends, and concepts that are steering our industry today. We hope that you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please subscribe. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it might be for you. Once again, this is the Aero Bandwidth Podcast. I am your North American host, David Potter. Today, we are going to be talking a little bit about hyperconvergence, some cool deployments, and some actually real-world implementations with GPUs um, and some really cool things like that. So I've got a guest with me today from the Toro College of Dental Medicine and Hudson River CIO Advisors. And let's get started on this. So thanks for being with me today. Introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and how you came to be in this crazy podcast with me. <laughs> well, thanks so much for the invite. Uh, my name is Mike Schreibman, uh, and I'm co-founder of Hudson River CIO Advisors. We're a managed service provider. Um, we, have, we do both MSP services and SOC services uh, for, for clients. Um, and we got approached by uh, uh, Turo College just prior to them uh, launching a new dental school. And um, it's been quite a ride. Uh, they, they reached out to us about three months before the school was due to open, which is a little tight um, <laughs> yeah. to, to start from scratch. Um, but what they envisioned was was pretty magical. Uh, they had a vision for um, a school that was a, a, a digital dentistry first orientation. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, changes happening in the dental industry. So it was pretty exciting. No one had ever done anything like this before. So there was no legacy. So that was good. So we get to invent and design everything from scratch. So it's been uh, it's been quite an adventure. And so, you know, digital dentistry, that's an interesting thing, right? So, you know, I think historically, if you've ever worked around dental offices, I think is back when I was doing some consulting as well, about the most high tech they had was putting some of the dental imaging, you know, the extra imaging up on you know, computer monitors, and that was about as, cra as crazy as it got. But, you know, I was reading through some of the case studies on this, and they're doing some pretty advanced things, right? So, I mean, why were, you know, you guys brought in for something like this traditionally? I mean, you don't think of dentistry as being a, you know, it's, I know, it's, no one really likes the dentist. Obviously, that's a, probably a cliched phrase, but I think that's fairly true. But from an IT perspective, it doesn't seem like this hotbed of, you know, digital transformation and dentistry beyond the alliteration is not the something that falls to off the tongue easily. Uh, for sure. Um, uh, nor does it work off the uh, off the truck all that easily. Um, so whereas uh, the entire healthcare sector has changed dramatically over mm. the last decade, right? Um, everything from uh, EMR, paper charts, going to electronic, Right, everything from uh, the moment you you enter a, a medical office, they're taking stats from from you, from you. All the biometric information is auto-fed, auto-populated directly into electronic medical record systems, and online systems. All of the X-ray systems have been converted years ago. Mm -hmm. Somehow, all of this missed the dental industry, which <laughs> stayed quiet on the side, operating. I, I don't want to say you know, the way it's been the last hundred years, but the last 50 years for the right. most part, right, yeah. um, hasn't changed a lot until now. Um, so when we first got introduced to this and then they said, oh, yeah, so we want, you know, you know, there's going to be a simulation lab 
of 115 students simultaneously. We're going to build out 168 dental chairs throughout, you know, a second floor. Mm-hmm. Because what's interesting about dental schools is, whereas in medical school, students uh, get their internships uh, at hospitals, mm-hmm. dental schools build clinics inside the college university complex. Okay. Right? So, so it's uh, so all of a sudden you have a, a college campus that all the, that has this. HIPAA compliant, super secure and sanitary medical clinic that's operating at a, you know, at a crazy high level um, with actual patients coming through. So it's not okay. like you can just have, you know, fire drills anytime. And, and uh, you know, sometimes in colleges, you know, students are on their own laptops and there's Wi-Fi, sometimes it works. No, no, no. This is uh, hundreds of patients a day moving through 168 dental chairs. Yeah. This is factory floor, right? This right. is high availability, zero defect, HIPAA compliant, and it's an entity inside a much larger mothership that wasn't designed for it. Okay. Um, and then you had the changes that were happening in the dental industry. For example, for someone, if if you uh, typically would break uh, or crack a tooth, right? Mm. You'd go to your your local dentist and take some x-rays, they would take a mold and imprint and send that off to, to a lab. Um, you typically would have three or four visits over two or three months each time, come back for a fitting, be some slight adjustments, send it back for a redo. And then finally, the dentist would sort of hand tool the final um, uh, crown that was, that was made and glued into place and, yep. and so on, right? So the digital dentistry version of that is, is fascinating. Did you get a 3D scan of the inside of your mouth um, using a, a wand that, you know, a high-speed digitizer that knows exactly the angle and velocity that it's being moved around? It creates a 3D uh, image that you then can see using CAD CAM software and mm-hmm. spin and rotate and zoom. Uh, the dentist can outline electronically exactly, you know, which tooth and what part uh, needs to be fixed um, with some um, um, uh, AI involved. It create it creates with the dentist the exact cap or crown. You hit a button and it sends it off to a CNC machine that makes it exactly perfect to fit the first time. Gotcha. Um, and, if, and depending what exactly is happening with your mouth, if, if they need to drill a post or something, it'll send off a, com- a command uh, for a 3D mold to be printed on a 3D printer, also in real time. So the, so when they, they can place that in your mouth and know exactly where to drill. So you have all of this super high-tech uh, equipment, um, uh, CAD-CAM softwares, 3D printers, CNC machines, uh, all working uh, at the same time so that at the same day, at this, during that same visit, by the, by the, while you're there, um, the cap, the crown, the uh, uh, post, the um, uh, the guide are all produced. They're perfect, and they fit the first time, um, fit in place, and you're good to go. So it's better, faster, cheaper, last longer, and it's obviously the future of dentistry. Yeah. Uh, so now, as that spreads throughout the industry, yeah. no one's going to go back to dentists to you know for that older process. Yeah, my the my crowns were never that seamless, right? So <laughs> they were they were not near that that efficient. So was this all pieces parts that they had in place or that they needed to stitch together or was this something that that you came up with to help 
you know, streamline this process? How deeply involved were you in the architecture of it? Or was it like, was it they handed you some off the shelf pieces, parts and said, hi, bolt this together. I mean, that you obviously there was a vision that went behind that. And, you know, how, how did you get to that? That's a great question. Um, first, it, 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 one of the things that helped me understand it better was when I uh, shipped a tooth. Mm. Uh, so um, there is a dentist who we had been working with who has a lot of experience with this. Um, so instead of going to my own dentist, <laughs> I went to his office. Um, <laughs> so I can actually be, you know, the guinea pig experience sure. what this process looks like. So in my brain, I understand each and every part and aspect to it. And it worked just as advertised. It, it, it was amazing. Um, yeah. So what we, what we discovered quickly in the process was the manufacturers for each of these parts and pieces, for the software, the hardware, the scanning, right, CNC machine, all of that was designed and optimized for sole practitioner dentists. Mm-hmm. Right? So a typical dentist would have two or three chairs in their office. Sometimes there'd be a second dentist around or not, right? right? The uh, IT in a dental office, um, you know, there's like a PC pretending to be a server under the receptionist's desk, right? <laughs> she kicks every morning when she gets there. It's seven um, years old. It is, yeah, totally. Exactly. exactly. The, you know, you try to figure out, you know, the network and it's a Belkin hub sitting, you know, on top of the radiator and there's wires in all directions because the nephew of the dentist did a nice job when he put it all together. Well, you, right? you must have been, you know, in the, in the, you know, consulting industry when I was as a younger man. <laughs> I mean, that's straight up, absolutely straight up what I used to encounter, you know, doing small business consulting and dentist office was exactly what you described. And that was always a challenge is that it was designed for one dentist and maybe, you know, you had a couple of assistants and it was never designed to scale. So yeah, that's, so yeah, how did you, how did you get around that? Did you have to redo it from scratch or, or was it was like kicking and screaming? Oh, the, oh. The, uh, the software and hardware manufacturers kicking and screaming. Yeah. But, what, ex- what they expressed was, you know, we optimize for those people. And we're like, yeah, but at best you'll sell one machine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to buy 20 in one shot and it's going to work over a network and it's going to be seamless. And they're like, well, we, we don't know how to do that. Um, I'm like, oh, let's work together. I'm, I'm delighted to help you, your company, your software and, you know, and all. Um, but there's going to be changes. Right. For, for example, um, typically the machine itself that does the scanning. Um, you, when you, you log into it with your you know, user ID and credentials, and it stores it locally, mm-hmm. um, which means if you have 20 of these to be able to handle, you know, uh, 120 patients simultaneously, and yeah. 15 dentists, um, uh, uh, that's not going to work. And they said, oh, no, just have them create an account on each and every machine. And when they need to retrieve the, you know, the patient's record, they just need to know which of the 10 or 20 machines they use the original. No, that's not going to. What could possibly go wrong? That doesn't sound at all confusing. Exactly. So we explained to them that we're going to point it. They all had, we're running uh, MS SQL local. We're like, <clears throat> we're going to change a pointer. It's going to go to, you know, enterprise MS SQL. Like, oh, um, we've never done that. We don't know if that's going to work. Calm down. It'll be fine. <laughs> the rest of the world has been using it for an awfully long time. Um, and it was that multiplied every time. Uh, one software company said, 
Well, the way the license key works, license goes into a PC, right? And then if you have um, like another 50 or 100 users, whenever they fire up the app, it will then, um, uh, the license will acknowledge it on that one PC sitting in your office. Gotcha. Yep. No, yep. no, no, no. Like, do you know what VLANs are? Like, do you know that you don't have, you know, a thousand devices sitting on a flat network that's going to validate against a PC that right. you think is going to, sitting in an area near a patient? Okay. No, right? High availability, zero defect enterprise. Like, how do right. we get you people to, to grow up? Um, the worst was there was one company um, in uh, Europe-based. We did a conference call with them and... Um, they wanted to show us how we would install the software, right? And they put up a slide. This is like, I don't know, six in the morning Eastern because, you know, they're in Europe. Um, and we're looking at this slide and it doesn't make any sense. It's it's some sort of pyramid scheme with a icon of a PC on top and then two underneath, sorry, then uh, five, uh, was it 10 underneath each? And then each of those have 10 more. And we're looking at this sort of, odd pyramid scheme and going, well, well, what is this? They said, oh, this is how you load the software onto the PCs. What, what do you mean? Well, you know, a PC can only, um, you know, talk, be networked to 10 other PCs. So you have the, the first one will do 10 and then each of those, you can have other PCs. Oh, wow. We're like, <laughs> you've never used server licenses, have you? Well, no, no, no one uses servers. You know, it's just a regular desktop and yeah. So for all the podcast listeners, I literally just face palmed. So, yeah. Right. And this is, and this is standard, right? I mean, I won't even get into the HIPAA stuff at, at this point. This is just sure. basic block and tackling. How do you load software? Yeah. Um, so the dental industry just wasn't designed for, for scale. Um, but what's happening in the industry is similar to what happened with small independent medical offices throughout the country is they end up getting um, bought up and swept up into groups, right? Hospital groups, right? Um, right? So what happens when that's going to begin happening or is continue to grow in the dental industry is every time those, those acquisitions happen, they're going to look at the tech stack and go, no, this, is, this isn't good. This isn't clean. This isn't secure. Um, this is not supportable. Um, and it's it's not going to work. So right. it's been an interesting ride. Um, we just entered um, this. The school just turned uh, um, uh, just got its fourth year of students. So it's it's um, um, this you know it's over three years old. Yeah. And all along the way, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of time with each of the the vendors in the sector to get them to move up the chain from um, you know single practitioner you know, fixed IP addresses, just all sorts of, you know, yeah. old school bad practices. Yeah, that's and, you know, like a, some flashbacks there for me. So, you know, that, so you've got a big project that, you know, you've, like you said, drug legacy coding into the 21st century. So there's a lot of things that have to happen along the way, right? So were there things that were, you know, so things that were important to you on the IT side, right? You know, enterprise manageability, scalability, we talked about some of those things you alluded to a little bit. Were there some things as you lined it out beyond the, okay, this is the program that you all use and I get that, but what else were some of the must haves that were part of that system when, it, when you were laying that out, when you were looking at the architecture and the, and the overall design? What were, can you share that list of the must have sure. you might've had? 
Sure. Well, one of the things we, we saw uh, the first two years of, of uh, dental students, they work in a simulation lab, 115 students simultaneously in um, it's uh, rows of 10 all across this, this massive room. Um, next to each one is a, a dental setup and a dental dummy. It's a, okay. it's a head, but they put the uh, like dentures inside this head. It is it is, by the way, terrifying. It just, just give you a sense. Yeah. It is nightmarish. Um, they, we even asked if we could rent it out for Halloween because it's. I was gonna say, I've, yeah, I've got I've got fodder now for my nightmares. I appreciate. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you photos. It's uh, <laughs> it is it is it is as bad as you think. Um, so as the students come in, you have 115 students who are going to log in simultaneously uh, into a network, but you also have. Uh, a, a situation where they're going to work in clusters and groups. They're going to not always be at the same location all the time. Yep. And you want to make sure that all the movement is fluid. Um, in fact, it's, it's as you go to year three and four, when the dental clinic came on board, it's the same deal, right? There's um, uh, be, the, the original requirement, two computers for every dental chair. And people are going to be moving quickly between, you know, from chair to chair uh, for the dental students and the, the faculty. Uh, and staff. So how do you facilitate that, uh, the quick login and log off? How do you make sure that there's two-factor uh, two authentication along the way? Because it is a HIPAA-compliant environment. Mm -hmm. um, and do it in a way where you don't have uh, uh, a SWAT team of, you know, IT support people with sneakers just right. racing, right, from crisis to crisis. So for us, we went back to our, our usual uh, toolkit, which is we, we love thin clients. We love doing, a, you know, VMware, Citrix uh, stack, uh, putting uh, thin clients out on deployment, um, uh, things like uh, Improvata for a single tap card, uh, yep. plus a, a PIN number, and you're good to go. So the first time someone, you know, logs in for the day, their virtual machine uh, boots up. Um, so that could be... 45, 50 seconds um, for everything to be uh, to, to set up to, to go in Windows. Um, and then from that point on, they can just tap their card to lock their screen or tap it at any other of the, I think there's now 540 thin clients. Wow. And within six seconds, their desktop moves to the new location and they keep moving. So it allows for that kind of fluid uh, activity, right? So as students move from operatory to operatory or the simulation lab from one section of the area to another uh, for their for their lessons it's tap and go and yeah. that makes all the, all the difference in the world so it, it calms down the environment uh, dramatically it allows for uh, certainly less uh, desk side support uh, related issues so it's a few help desk people I mean when when we launched the school um, a couple of years ago, so it was uh, 115 students, probably about 35 staffers. Yep. We had we had two desk side support people uh, handling 200 devices on a floor. Okay, we're now at at full strength. This uh, starting this this month, uh, the school is at um, uh, the 650 students, faculty, and staff. Um, there's 540 so devices mm -hmm. um, on over two floors and we've gone uh, from well pick a number what do you think if, if we started with the two people where where do you think we'd be now 
So, you know, so you're five times the size. So, you know, you would say if you were at five times the personnel, you know, maybe what, 10 to a dozen people? We're at one. Well done. And that, and that person is bored. It's, it's <laughs> sort of Maytag repairman-like. You know, there'll be an occasional monitor that'll, you know, have sure. a bad day or a cable that gets kicked. Um, but separate from ads, moves, and changes, you know, it's, it's Citrix, right? It's a calm, thin client. There's no HIPAA compliant data on any device. It's sort of just sort of mellow. It's a relaxed, calm environment. Now there will there are people at the operations center who are watching real-time screens and monitoring. Right. Um, we're, we're big fans of things like PRTG and Extra Hop. So we'll mm -hmm. watch every packet fly through the environment. We'll watch all the metrics for, you know. CPU utilization and memory and storage and, you know, all the, any of the parameters that if it goes over a threshold, you know, should throw up an alarm sure. uh, for an engineer to look at. Yep. But in terms of the physicality of it, no, that's a, that's a calm base environment. Um, and once we worked out sort of the, the, the kinks in the process in year one, then we were able to reduce, you know, decide staffing. Um, that's and People don't think about IT when when they're working. It's just it's just, it's going to work just like a light bulb and a light switch would work, right? Which is so reality. I mean, that's what that's how it's supposed to work, right? I mean, you know, we I think those of us that are in it every day, it's that's all we do. But the reality is that most people they do want to just be something that is just there that they don't think about and don't have to spend a lot of time on. Now I'll, I'll you know throw you a softball question here. You know, having a little background in in IT, Citrix, thin clients, I'm, I'm a big fan of them as well. But traditionally, typically, when you add 3D or CAD in there, that that sandwich does not tend to be as easy to make. So, you know, how did you guys overcome that? I mean, was that a challenge for you? Um, you know, what did you find as you rolled those out at first? You know, I mean, obviously, there's there's some hitch in the get along there, as they would say, back where I'm from. <laughs> Um, I never heard that before. Um, I'm from Brooklyn. I don't hear things very often. In fact, English wasn't my first language. I sarcasm. always spoke sarcasm in Brooklyn. Well, those are my two um, that I grew up on. Um, so just a quick background um, uh, of myself and uh, my co-founder of the company, uh, Beyond Venter. And I first started uh, doing Citrix deployments uh, 20 years ago. Um, back when I was a VPIT at NBC News uh, mm -hmm. and beyond ran the tech stack. And the challenge 20 years ago was that 19 years ago was a, a, an election Olympics year, yep. right? Where we needed to figure out how do you get NBC News correspondents and producers and writers to log out of their computers at NBC 30 Rock in New York, right. fly off to Iowa, New Hampshire, fly into the Democratic and Republican convention, you know, log in, do their work, log out then fly to uh, Sydney, Australia uh, for the Olympics, log and have no help desk calls, have no, have no one talk to them, brief them, instruct them, nothing. It just is normal, right? And the only way to pull that off at scale was, uh, was Citrix. So uh, we had a year of prep to figure out how to make it work. And we learned a lot of the tricks about how to make Citrix run um, uh, faster, uh, how to make sure we monitor CPU utilization, all the usual complaints that people have about BDI. Yep. We just knew from the beginning, we'll just get it to oversized servers and more more smaller servers instead of a few larger ones and, and all the balance you have to do. Yep. Um, we, we made a, a Microsoft and 
Citrix. And um, uh, at that point, it was um, a, a wise terminal. We made them all write bu bug fixes and hot fixes as soon as we came across it. Yeah. Uh, and saying, we're NBC News, you got to fix this for us. And they got all excited. And yeah. And they did and and made it work. So we've been using having had that in our back pocket for a long time. And even when we started doing some other um, uh, medical offices uh, and, and, you know, over like a company that would have uh, like four offices over two states. Um, so, again, Citrix was a great uh, you know, utilization. Um, and then when they school first told us they're going to be doing 3D x-rays, we're like, Oh, that's fine. The uh, an orthopedic group that we handle the PCs for was also 3D imagery, but it was a 3D image in orthopedics means you step through layer by layer. Right. They didn't say it was a full CAD CAM auto rotation shading real time. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, whoopsie. Yeah. So our our first iteration was. Um, was assuming that you know hyperconverged servers of the day uh, with enough RAM and CPU would totally be able to handle this. Right. Oh no, it, uh, <laughs> not so much. Um, so that was that was uh, it was a bad day. It was it was a bad uh, opening launch uh, when when they tried that out. Um, so quickly, you know, got on the phone, fired up, um, uh, you know, talking with the distributors and, and, uh, and, and software companies and hardware companies, like, what do you do to make this work? Um, and that's where we saw, oh, so uh, hyper-converged um, uh, NVIDIA chipset-based um, VDIs is the only way to go, that you have to do, um, uh, and you have to give enough video RAM to each virtual machine um, mm -hmm. for it to be able to work. They, they originally, we were sized um, to, oh, we can handle, you know, 500 students on four servers and it'll be great. And none of that, none of the early exercises on yeah. uh, sizing worked um, because no one had ever done that kind of, you know, 3D imagery at scale on Citrix on a new platform of hyperconverge that was just emerging several right. a few years ago. So even though it was great EMC gear that that's still up and running doing non-GPU enabled work, we had to sort of, you know, go back to the to the school and go, <clears throat> okay, so this is what it's really going to cost. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Dell um, EMC was great about you know. Uh, lowering, you know, adding discounts and giving some rebates because the sizing exercises were off. Mm -hmm. um, and and then we've been on um, uh, GPU-enabled uh, uh, VDI uh, servers ever since. I think we're up to more than ten by now gotcha. uh, to be able to do it. And we and we, you know, keep controls tight about uh, how many VDIs per uh, per unit when CPU or or RAM or GPU. Um, uh, specs are getting a little too high uh, when they're running too hot and and make sure we've allocated things properly so no one really feels the pinch but it was the first day that the clinic launched the um, uh, associate dean uh, who's also a, a private dentist who uses some of the same 3d software in his own practice fired up the vdi and was so excited to show me that it works um, way better and faster on the VDI environment than it does in his own office with a big over 
powered um, uh, PC, GPU-enabled PC. So that was that was pretty exciting. That's very cool. That's very cool. So it was a uh, yeah. We we see that as well. That the GPU is definitely something that I think a lot of people don't think of when they're doing VDI because it's very task-oriented, right? You know, if it's standard office workers, you know, Word, Excel, things like that, fine, you're good. But anything where you're getting into those things, we see that as well. So and that's, ch and that's uh, changing slightly though yeah. with Windows 10. Windows yeah. Windows 10. Uh, when you're doing nothing, when you're just displaying the GUI, um, it's it's if, if there's no GPU, it's overtaxing the CPU to emulate. Yeah, and it and it it's not good. Um, you guys had to actually. I was reading the case study, and you ran into that and had to do some remediation because of that, right? Oh, for sure. Um, that was that was sort of the day one exercise. Um, uh, the systems all booted initially fine on non-GPU servers. Uh, 115 students took a, took a bit, but they all got logged in on Windows 10. Then the machines are sitting there idle. Uh, uh, the one of the deans is is talking to the students, and the machines 30 minutes later all started to do background tasks from a ta from the task scheduler, pin the needle on on the CPUs, flatline the system, and the system crashed and rolled over. Oh, We're like right so. First thing we did, Windows 7, <laughs> um, <laughs> do a rollback. Let's see what's going on. Once we figured out what was going on, roll back to Windows 7. Uh, within two days, up, up and running, stable. It was fine. But we also, at that point, knew when we uh, tested their, their, what they now explained was uh, CAD CAM 3D software. Right. Um, they're going to have to go to a GPU-enabled uh, VDI situation. Uh, server base, and we did, and never looked back. And it's been exciting. And what's interesting now is so many other dental schools are now uh, contacting us to talk about how we can help them with that kind of deployment. Because what they're finding is when they roll out um, heavy-duty graphic workstations throughout the environment, you know, hundreds at a clip, especially when it's in a place like a dental clinic that has, you know, three to four hundred patients a day coming through, mm -hmm. a pretty active environment, and when it you know, PCs having having a bad day. Um, you can't necessarily move the patients easily between dental chairs, right? Um, right, and they're all surgery area, for example. Um, and you can't barge into a lot of those places immediately. Uh, <laughs> even even for us, we uh, to handle any of the PCs. Um, there's a it, that are, uh, in the, an area sterilized room. Mm -hmm. um, where they do all the sterilization of all the instruments and all. Uh, we've got to be full cap, gown, mask, right, sure. um, to, even, to even get in there. Um, you know, nothing moves quickly. Uh, right. And some of the software that's used for the industry requires a lot of um, per PC installation, where you can't just push out um, specific files to specific machines automatically. Um, mm. So there are a lot of dental schools where it's, 10 plus people on the floor just for IT, separate from what's in the operations center, what's handling help desk calls, and all the people handling the servers and infrastructure and active directory and network, all unrelated to those 10. Sure. Um, and it's, it's, it's wieldy, unwieldy. Yeah, absolutely. So from start to finish, you know, like you talked a little bit about the, the project scope was around three years. From 
the initial design and then your first your roll out of you know when you had to go back and kind of re-engineer some things for GPU. What was total time on deployment? So um, we were called in originally three months before the school was going to open. Mm-hmm. Um, our part took four months, but construction wasn't done at the three month <laughs> mark. So um, you know, we sort of had had to have electricity and desks to, to put things on first. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, we fired up the Gantt chart and, you know, figured out the timelines for everything. And as long as all the approvals came in on time. Um, but it was probably so that was, you know, for us, uh, a September launch. It was probably February of the following year um, that we finished the architecture design for the GPU enabled system. And nice. then over the next few months, we're sort of on the waiting list for um, at that point, it was the um, uh, EMC GPU enabled hyperconverged servers to yep. uh, to come out of production. Um, there was a backlog and orders for those. Um, and, you know, as they came in, we started putting them online and started moving people over to them. Um, yep. It's great. Never looked back. Awesome. So, you know, it's always one of those things, you know, they say hindsight's 2020. The benefit of it is when you go back and look at a project. So what, you know, I like to kind of wrap up with things for folks. What three things would you have done differently looking back? You know, with if you were to, you know, go back and talk to yourself when they first called you at that three months, if you'd have picked up the phone, <laughs> you know, what would you, what would you tell yourself or what the, what three things would you, would you take away from you that? Know, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. Certainly I, I should have not taken them at the words and say, oh, it's, you know, it's 3D software without actually looking at it. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a, a pretty short list of of, of of software, and at that time, it was just one more item on the list. And they said, "Oh, you know, it's 3D X-rays." I'm like, okay, we yep. assumed that was what we knew. They didn't have the verbiage to explain that it was you know, yeah more re- than that. Yeah, exactly. And and even the specs that we that we got the manufacturer didn't talk about the ray tracing and and all that. Um, so that would have been different. But uh, honestly. Even if we knew that, the state of the art technology at that time mm-hmm. would have been price prohibitive. Um, I mean, we were looking at uh, server racks that would be one one point two million a piece for GPU enabled uh, hyper. It wasn't hyperconverged at the time. It was just it was converged. It was the V blocks. Oh yeah. Uh, right. So the Cisco servers and the separate cars. That that was a million two per rack, mm-hmm. and the number of racks needed was just the budget wasn't there. It was never right. going to happen. Um, so uh, technology evolves within within months of yep. us needing the technology, and the price points came down sure. with, with, within months of us needing to pull that gear in. Um, so for us, it became a great test case, right? I mean, right. we, sure. you know, they always talk about pioneers are the ones with the arrows in their back. Right. Um, right. So we took all those shots, but it worked. Right. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this became the test case that um, Citrix has been bragging about. EMC did uh, uh, case studies uh, yeah. about us. Right. Um, uh, actually, Citrix has shot several videos about what we've been up to <laughs> and, and publicized uh, publicized that. Um, 
the data center we work with, to your point, did videos about us. So we became a test case for so many other people to follow yep. because just before us, there was no test case right. for reasonably priced, hyper-converged, GPU-enabled Citrix services at scale. Gotcha. Um, that made any sense. Um, in exchange, that ended up getting us uh, you know, known in the sector. Sure. Um, and getting us on a podcast like yours. So I will say, you know, as a good aside, I'll take a little segue there for listeners. We will have links in the show notes to the case studies and the videos that we're talking about. And I would say the case studies are, are really good. You know, I, I did my research on my my homework on it before this, and they're, they're really good ones out there. If you haven't taken a look at them, do so. So then I'll, uh, I'll flip it to a different question. So you were sitting here today. It's, you know, September 5th, 2019. We've got, you know, GPU enabled hyperconverged servers and all this cool stuff. Clinic calls and says, hey, we're going to do this project. How would you do it today? If you were going to start fresh sheet of paper today, how, how, what would you do differently today? It's a good question. Um, nothing. I mean, we would do nothing different. Um, I mean, what's, what happened with us is from the first time that we realized this was not going to work once the school was up yeah. to the next generation. What we did is every time this, the, the new school year, right? We started with 115 students, then every year another 115 students join. Yep. And, and so every year as the school builds, um, we buy servers just in time for yeah. that installation, right? So sure. we're upgrading and modifying our processes and procedures and the software stack and our tool, tool set uh, all along the way. So by the time we got to year four that just started, um, the plan we have now is exactly what we would use, you know, yes, perfect. right, yeah. right up and right up until, you know, a tech stack change or, you know, or a new innovation comes out that makes it better, faster, cheaper, more, more reliable. But we found the reliability to be, to be great. We have, um, spare servers that are, uh, you know, uh, up and running at all times, sharing the load. Mm -hmm. um, we, can, we can, you know, it easily falls over from one unit to another. So that evolution has continued along the way. Um, wow. One of the things I will say is uh, that we got right from the beginning was using uh, platforms like PRTG and, and, and ExtraHop, the ability to watch every packet move through the environment to know what a user experience is and how long it takes to log in, mm -hmm. right? Um, and have that metric come to us in real time rather than have a user call and go, hey, you know, this morning when I logged in, it took way longer than normal, right? And you have no idea if that person's caffeine level was different from day to day or it, there was a test, right? Um, or it's correct. Um, back in my NBC uh, GE days, there was a best practice of never use your end users as your outage notification device. Right. So how can we find out ahead of time whether, you know, the thing client is up or if there's a power outage somewhere or, or for someone's desktop is just taking way longer than uh, uh, other people's? What's the anomaly? And we just want to be, you know, to have all that automation uh, and alerting in place so we can yep. begin remediating in the background so they don't even think to call because next time they log in, everything is fine and, and yeah, they're, they're, 
Exactly. So by using a lot of those automated tools, um, even, you know, an extra hop, you can do things like um, uh, it has an alert for ransomware, right? If it sees a number of performance or behavior uh, characteristics yeah. happening in an environment, you know, automatically just, you know, shut down the VDI in progress. We record mm -hmm. every packet so we can, you know, replay and recreate any documents that, you know, anything might have happened to in the meantime. Yeah. And, and you have all these tools at your disposal. So if someone says, yeah, the network's really slow today, you know networks. Networks are binary. They either work or they don't work. Right. Right. right? Um, yep. Speed, especially where fiber connected from the data center directly to the school. There's no long distance circuits. Something else is afoot. And right. if you don't have the monitoring or metrics in place to know um, where the defect is in the environment, what's the delta? between when that person logged in the day before, week before, month before, year before, right? Mm. If you can't look at that, you have you're, you have nowhere idea where to start. Exactly. Right. Yep. So from my so from an IT security perspective or IT operational analytics perspective, what's the delta? What's the anomaly? What's the fastest way to restore? And then how do we build a process to make sure no one experiences that again? Or if they do, we can see the, the precursor symptom. Right. And, and, and get ahead of it. And yep. I, I don't know why more people aren't that proactive versus reactive. It just seems the only way to calm stuff down. Right. And it's a it's a soapbox I've long been on, and, and longtime listeners know that that I, I preach that. So thanks for being my straight man on that one. I I, uh, <laughs> I love the reinforcement. Well, I want to say this has been absolutely a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's been really really good. You know, come on back anytime. We'd love to have you back on and talk about some more things. And we, you've got your uh, operations center behind you, and security is near and dear to my heart. And I'd like to, you know, talk to you about what you see out there in the world. But for now, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So again, thank you so much for joining us today, listeners out there. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, check us out, Arrow Bandwidth, the show notes, and all the links for this will be in the in the notes. And until next time, we'll see y'all later. Thanks so much for listening. To contact us on Twitter, use hashtag AeroBandwidth, and we'll see you next week.